you have your Bibles tonight, let's go over to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5. We're going to look at verses 14 21. Thank you for who, those of you that prayed for my luggage. I was super happy. Um, it's weird to be away from my wife on Valentine's Day. So uh, I'll be talking to her later tonight. But uh, I also want to thank Andrew Carter. Uh, the first time I came here, Andrew was my driver. He picked me up at the airport, and now he's overseeing guest relations. And uh, this trip, I've been that guy that's constantly needing to change everything and keep calling and saying, this change, this change, can you help me out? And uh, Andrew and his team have been absolutely wonderful. And I know there are two ladies that oversee the conference, one who ended up having a, a brain tumor, and uh, then Courtney's dad ended up having a stroke. And uh, if you've never put on a large conference like this, uh, when those key people go down, uh, it's amazing how everyone else has stepped up. And so uh, for everyone that's helped behind the scenes. And I just also want to thank Dr. Benson uh, it's unique to have a conference at a, at a college where you bring in all the other seminary presidents. And uh, I tell our students all the time, we are competitors on the field, but co-laborers off the field. And if you go work at camp, you're going to work with other students. And we don't have to wait till we get to heaven to be friends. Could we agree on that? Uh, you should love your school, but we're all hopefully going to be in heaven together, and we can be friends on this side of heaven. And so uh, I appreciate the heart that he has to say, hey, I just want to bring in all the different seminary presidents, and uh, you're going to hear some great preaching uh, throughout the rest of this week. I'm sorry that I have to leave in the morning, but uh, I just appreciate that spirit that says, hey, we're all in this together, uh, and we really are. And uh, heaven's going to be amazing, and it won't be just BJ grads or faith grads. Uh, I know that's shocking to some, but, uh, but we're going to all be serving the Lord together, and, and let's do that joyfully, and uh, what a blessing. I tell everyone, going to any Christian college and going into any good seminary is a win, and uh, so I appreciate the fact that you're in a great uh, Christian university. I'm going to read verses 14 to 21 if you're here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The Bible says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, hence we, henceforth, knowing no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, now henceforth knowing him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ to be reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless our time in your word this evening. We thank you uh, for what you did for us on the cross. We thank you that you did reconcile us. And God, you've given us a ministry to let the world know who you are and what you've done. And God, I pray that we would be so in awe of you that we're so moved by who you are and what you've done for us personally that we have to share it with others. And God, I pray that you would take all of us and use all of us to reach as many people as we can in the life that you've given us to tell them how great you are. God, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity to look in your word tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. John was told a twin-engine plane would be waiting at the airport. Arriving at the airport, he spotted a plane warming up outside the hangar. So he jumped in and said, let's go. The pilot taxied and took off. 
Once on the air, John told the pilot, hey, we need to fly over that valley so I can get a picture of the fire on the hill. The pilot said, well, why? They said, because I'm a photographer for a television show and I need to get some uh, close-up shots for the evening news. The pilot was strangely silent for a moment and then stammered, so what you're telling me is you're not my flying instructor? (laughs) And the tagline was, always ask, never assume. And I think they got in the air and they both had a problem, right? The photographer thought, hey, this is the plane that's supposed to be taking me up. And the guy in the, in the pilot seat thought, hey, this is my flying instructor. And I want to ask you tonight, do you love God? You say, what a weird question to ask at a Christian college, a Christian university. Always ask, never assume. If you say yes to that from our text, two things will be true. You'll have a passion that leads to Christ's control of your life, verses 14 to 17. And you'll have a passion for the lost, verses 18 to 21. Are those two things true of you tonight? Would you say, I am definitely in the process of sanctification. I'm becoming more and more like Christ and less and less like the world. And I have a consuming passion to see people know Christ as their Savior. Let's look at the first point here in verses 14 to 17. A passion that leads to Christ's control. Paul never lost a sense of wonder at Christ's love for him. Uh, Look at Romans. Just back up. Romans 8, verse 35. Romans 8, verse 35, the Bible says, We shall separate us from the love of Christ. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? By the way, did Paul understand those things? He experienced most of them. He writes, As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Go over to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians 2, verse 20. The Bible says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who what? Who loved me and gave himself for me. Go to Ephesians. You're right there. Galatians, Ephesians, chapter 3, verse 17 to 19. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him was able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Now let's go back to our text in 2 Corinthians 5. Christ's incomprehensible, unconditional love overwhelmed Paul. You remember Paul was a persecutor of Christians. And as, uh, as he was traveling, he meets Christ. He's knocked off of his horse. He's blinded. And he goes from Saul to Paul. He goes from being the great persecutor of the church uh, to someone that God uses to write most of our New Testament. And that just never left Paul. And you know the challenge for a lot of you is you grew up in a Christian home. I remember my first time in Greenville, I stopped counting how many Baptist churches I've seen. I'm from the West. Uh, you just would never see that. And if you grew up and you say, I got saved at three or four, and you just have never really seen the dark side of a life without Christ, sometimes God's love for us doesn't overwhelm us. It doesn't impact us. But uh, if you get around new Christians, I, I had the joy in Canada of seeing lots of people come to Christ 18 on up. And they were so moved by what God did in their life, just as Paul is here. 
Verse 21, Paul writes up here in, in chapter 5. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Paul was overwhelmed by this exchange. The substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ is the heart of all Christian theology, and it produced a passionate love for God and Paul as it should in all of us. If you ever get a chance to go to Israel, you can go on the Mount of Olives, and the night that Jesus Christ was to be crucified, he takes his disciples up there and he says, guys, tonight's the night. They've had the Lord's Supper, and he's let them know that this, it's time. He says, guys, I need, I need you to pray with me. Now, who knows better than any of us in the room or anyone in the universe that when God makes a decision, he doesn't change his mind. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Did Jesus know why he was born? We read that in Matthew. We, we quoted that this morning. Friend, he was born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. He knew that's why he was here, and yet the, when it came time, he goes away and prays a most unusual prayer. Father, please. Please, Father, is there any other way that Jim Tillotson and the people of this room could go to heaven outside of my death? It's why you know there is no other way you can get to heaven. Good works can't get you there. Being a Baptist can't get you there. If anything else could get you into heaven, Jesus didn't have to die on the cross. That's what he's asking. Even though he knew that's why he was born, but when it came time to do it, he asked if there's another way, and the answer comes back, no. He walks back, he finds the disciples asleep, he wakes them up, he says, guys, tonight is a very important night, I need you to stay with me, stay with me, please pray with me tonight, and he goes off unbelievably, he asks a second time the same prayer. Father, please, please, is there any other way that Jim Tillits and the people in this room can go to heaven? And again, the answer comes back, no. If you ever get to the Mount of Olives, you can look down the Kidron Valley, you can look up, you'll see the wall of Jerusalem, you'll see the gate that's walled in. There's no way that they can bring a thousand soldiers and surprise Jesus. The only reason the disciples are still on the Mount of Olives is they fell asleep. As those torches start coming out, and the reason they're bringing so many people is Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. And you're bringing people back from the dead, you're not going to send two guys to go get them. And they bring this massive crowd, and as he sees the torches coming down, he goes off a third time. Humanly speaking, he's almost undone. I mean, this is not the stress of finals. I mean, this is, this is a stress. I've been stressed before, but I've never been this stressed. He's under so much pressure and so much stress, humanly undone. Most people believe he has a bloody sweat. Capillaries near his skin are burst. And he begs the Father. Father, please, is there any other way? And the answer comes back a third time, no. And Jesus says, then thy will be done. Seven great statements on the cross. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. But I think we all would agree the best is the last one. It is finished. And he paid for every sin you've ever done and every sin you'll ever do. And you didn't ask him to. And if he had asked me, I would have told him, it's not worth it. I'm not worth it. Don't do it. But he didn't ask me. He died on the cross and paid for all of our sin. And Paul could never get over that. If you go back to our text in verse 14, the love of Christ constraineth us. The Greek word here for constraineth describes pressure that produces an action. I would challenge you tonight, that's true of everything we love. Everything you love constrains you. 
It puts pressure on you and it produces an action. Because of what Christ did for us on the cross, it should constrain us. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all were dead. And he died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him who died for them and rose again. If I asked you to be honest tonight, don't raise your hand. But how many of you think the average church, and I'm going to use an old phrase, is on fire for God? If I ask most people who is on fire for God, I don't get people saying, my whole church. If someone were to ask of this student body, who's on fire for God in this student body? Who's overwhelmed that they're saved, that their sins have been forgiven, and they're on their way to heaven? Who's on fire for God here? You know what I think we find? We find a lot of selfish Christians. You see a lot of people that give a nod to God, but they don't really need God. You know, I'm going to see Jonah in heaven. I'm going to see Lot in heaven. I'm going to see Solomon in heaven. But you know, they gave a nod to God. Jonah has one of the greatest revivals you've ever seen, and yet where does he end? He's out pouting. Why is he pouting? I knew you. (laughs) I knew you'd forgive him. Lot, if you don't have the New Testament, you're convinced Lot's not saved. How could it be that disgusting? What a total failure as a dad. Total failure as a husband. Angels say, get out. I mean, that's such a crazy story, right? Remember Lot? Angels come down and he says, hey, you can take my daughters. And angels say, no, they bring them in. They strike everyone with blindness. They tell them, hey, tomorrow morning, this whole town is getting destroyed. If someone came to you and said, hey, tomorrow morning a nuclear bomb is going off at Bob Jones University, this place is getting leveled, how many of you would sleep well tonight? Most of you, and, and if the, if the, also the answer is, hey, we're leaving early in the morning, no set time, early in the morning, how many of you would make sure it was early when you got up? You know what's fascinating when you read the text? The angels have to wake him up. It says, while he lingered. Like, hey, you got to get out of here. But he'd already gone to his sons-in-law, and they said, Dad, what are you talking about? God's going to destroy this? you got to be kidding me. His wife turns to a pillar of salt, I personally believe, because grandkids are being burnt up behind her. The place he says he can't go, the mountains, is where he ends up. Total gross story. But you know what? The Bible says in the New Testament, that righteous man vexed his righteous soul with the seeing and hearing of the wicked. I'll see him in heaven. But the love of Christ did not constrain him. And if you look at this text, and this is my issue that I would, and I want you to think with me tonight. Do you, if I just gave you the question, do you love God? I think most of you would say yes. But I want to put it in a practical sense. Do you love God like you love everything else in your life? Because to be honest, most don't. And how are we to love God? All our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. God should be your greatest love. But do you love God the way you love everything else? Because in reality, we don't. Of the Minnesota Vikings, I wear a lot of purple. I like Ford. I like John Deere. I like the Edmonton Oilers. When people are around me, they know what I love. Do people know that you love Jesus? I grew up on a farm. My dad planted an acre garden, and I had three sisters. And my dad would plant the garden. It was our job to take care of it. If you've ever been on a farm and, and had a huge garden like that, I snapped beans for hours as a kid. I hated, I, I hated it. <laughs> and then my dad got chickens. Chickens are great when they're yellow and small like this. They're horrible beasts when they grow up. And I had to clean the chicken coop and I had to get the eggs. So I knew one thing when I left the farm. I am never going to have a garden. I am never going to have chickens. 
And then I married my wife. <laughs> Unbelievable country girl. Newly in our marriage, she comes to me and says, Jim, there's only two things I want. And I said, honey, I love you so much, you just name it. And she looked at me and said, I want a garden and I want chickens. <laughs> Unbelievable. So we've had a garden and chickens. I got rid of the chickens eventually, we still have the garden. It irks me to buy manure. I just think that just seems wrong. I grew up on a farm. I could have had a gold mine as a kid if I understood that concept. And have I ever gotten stuff with a bad attitude? Absolutely. And if I'm tilling the garden or getting manure with a bad attitude, my wife will say, I'll do it myself. I don't want your help if you're going to have a bad attitude. And growing up in a farming community, if any of you are from a farming community, in the fall we locked our car doors, not because we were afraid someone would steal our car. We locked our car doors because if you didn't lock your car door, you come out of church and you got a zucchini and a tomato in your car. <laughs> like, oh no, we might lock our car. <laughs> How do we get a zucchini? <laughs> I want to challenge you that my love for my wife constrained me. It put pressure on me. And because I love her, there's the only person I do this for, but I do it for her because I love her. And when I love her in the right way, I'm happy to do it. If you love to hike, hunt, shop, snorkel, fish, family, it's a pressure that produces an action. If you're here tonight and say, man, I love to golf. And I said, really, love to golf. What clubs do you have? I don't have any. You don't have any? Do you ever play golf? No, I've never played golf. Oh, do you like watching it on TV? No, I, I never watch it on TV. You know what I'm going to tell you? You don't love golf. If you say, I love to hunt. I said, really, you love to hunt? What gun do you have? Well, I don't have one. Have you ever gone hunting? No, I've never gone hunting. Like, do you watch it on TV? No, you know what I'm going to tell you? You don't love to hunt. Because if you love to hunt, there's a pressure that produces an action. If you love to golf, there's a pressure that produces an action. We had two grandkids one on the way, a third on the way, but our first two were born in Canada. We couldn't cross the border. Well, not for the first one. The second one, I came home a week before our second grandchild was born. I walked in the room and I said, hey, we're getting vaccinated. <laughs> I said, really? Why? She said, if we get vaccinated, we can cross the border. I'm going to be there when our grandkid is born. It's funny, even the anti-vaxxers, if you tell them you did it for your grandkids, they're like, oh, oh yeah, that's okay. <laughs> And so they were coming down for the first Christmas. They're coming to our house for one week. And my wife said to me, Jim, we got to go out. We got to get a crib. We got to get a high chair. Uh, we're going to get toys for the kids. I'm like, why? We didn't have these kids. They're only here for a week. But every grandparent in the room knows what happened, right? I went out and bought a crib, a high chair. You'd have thought we just had the kid. Why? It's a pressure that produces an action. And that's true of everything we love except when it comes to Christ. Let's look in our text. The Bible is very clear in this passage. He says in verse 17, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. Is that true in your life? Are you the Christian God wants you to be? Do you love him like you should? When we sing, Oh, how I love Jesus, ignore him the rest of the week, something's wrong. You know, I don't know about your church, but in most churches, once people find their spot, that's where they sit in every service. And as our church became a large church, that's how I would tell who was missing. I'd sit on the platform, and as we're singing, I'd look across the audience, and if someone was missing, I'd know, oh, they're not there today. And there was an older man in his 60s who just recently gotten saved, and we were singing Amazing Grace. You know that song? 
Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I, I'm singing as I'm looking, and he's in about the middle, and as I see him, tears are just pouring down his face. And I look past him, and, and then I look back at him, and then I think if I keep looking, we're both going to be crying. And so I thought, man, something must be going on in his heart. God talked to him after the service. After the service, I made my way to the back, and I said, hey, Dan, you doing all right? He goes, yeah. I said, well, Dan, you know, you're singing that song, Amazing Grace, and I, I just saw you just weeping back there. I just thought, are you okay? And he teared up again. He said, Pastor Jim, Amazing Grace is still amazing to me. If I told you all the things that new believers changed, quit drinking, quit doing drugs, got their marriages back on track, that's average for new Christians. You put a sign-up list, who signs up first? New Christians, old Christians. Who can't wait to come to church? New Christians, old Christians. Always new Christians. You know what the old Christians think? They'll learn. They used to say, I hope not. And some of you, you don't love God like you should. And that's why you're staying in sin. That's why you don't read your devotion. You know, if you skip your devotions, you shouldn't feel guilty. You should feel sad. You shouldn't be like, oh, I feel guilty. I should have read my Bible. No, it's like, man, I feel sad. I didn't, I didn't talk with the Lord today. I didn't, I didn't have that time with him. I don't get time with my wife. I don't feel guilty. I feel sad. Why? Because I want to spend time with her because I love her. And some of you, the only response you have to not having your devotions is guilt. You've you got to love God better than that. You know why you'll quit looking at porn? You know why you'll, you'll work on not lying? You know why you're going to work on your temper? You're going to work on those things when you love God. The key to having a victory over pornography is not to just, I'm going to stop looking at it. No, love God more. When you love God more, the love of Christ will constrain you. It'll produce a pressure in your heart that says, hey, I want to change. I want to be what God wants me to be. I have girl, boy, girl, three kids. My wife's a fantastic cook. She taught her two girls to cook. Remember, I came home, my daughter met me at the door. Dad, I made supper tonight. I'm like, oh, great, that's, that's great, honey. And I sat down, and I took that first bite, and it did not taste like mom's. You know what I'm talking about? Something was horribly wrong. But she's looking right up at me, and she's like, Dad, what do you think? And I did what every good dad does. I lied. <laughs> I'm like, honey, this is amazing. <laughs> Now I want to challenge you, you put something in or you take it out, it changes the product. If you really put God in your life or you leave him out of your life, it will change the product. The Bible says we are new creatures. We can't, be, we can't live selfishly anymore. 1 Corinthians 6.20, you're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I know Alan doesn't have the time for this, but if I was to go on a mission trip and he wasn't the president of Bob Jones, we're friends, and I'd just say, hey, Al, can you come watch my house for me? I'm going on a month-long missions trip. I need someone to watch the house. And because of friendship, he'd say, sure, Jim, I'd be happy to do that. So I bring him over and I say, Al, there's a few things you've got to remember. Tuesday's trash. You've got to make sure you take the garbage on Tuesday. He says, Jim, no problem. I got that. I said, you know what? My wife loves plants. You gotta, can't overwater. Don't underwater. Just, just give them the right amount. Here's the schedule. And he says, Jim, okay, I got that. So you got to make sure you take care of the cat. Here's the cat food, water. Just make sure you take care of the cat. I said, Jim, I got that. I said, the downstairs toilet, sometimes the, the handle sticks, and so you just got to make sure it doesn't stick because if it sticks, it'll overflow and flood the basement and just keep an eye on that. And he said, Jim, I got that. And if you knew my wife, she'd have it all typed out for him. And I give it to Al, and Al says, Jim, have a great time. 
And could you imagine if I come back at the end of the month and I walk in my house and there is a stench and I walk in and the kitchen is piled full of garbage. And I look around and all the plants are dead. And I look in the backyard and there's a little mound of the cross where the cat's been buried. <laughs> Which, let's be honest, that one is okay. All right, that's, that's okay. <laughs> and I go in the basement and the carpet's wet and I'm like, ow! Like, what happened? He goes, oh, Jim. Jim, that part about taking the garbage out, I love that part. That was such a good part. Jim, that, that part about watering the plants, I read that part every night and underlined it. Look, I highlighted, I underlined it. I love that part. That part about feeding and watering the cat, I memorized. I got it word for word. Just quiz me, just quiz me. I got it. I'm like, but Al, the cat is dead. <laughs> and you know what I would think? He's not my friend. And do you know how many of you read this, highlight it, underline it, memorize it, but you don't do it? You know what the God of heaven is saying? You're not my friend. Because if you love me, the Bible says in John, keep my commandments. If you love me, if you really love me like you love hunting, like you love golf, like you love your family, it will change you. There's things you're going to do because you love those things. Whatever your sports team is, you're going to have a lot of that color in your home and you're going to wear it. That's true of everything we love until it comes to Christ. Then we act like we're in an elevator. If you don't travel a lot, the unwritten rule in an elevator is don't make eye contact and don't say anything. That's how most of us are with Jesus Christ. You know what irritated me on the last election cycle, and I have to get political, but I tell you, there were a lot of Christians that everyone knew they liked Donald Trump and they had no clue that they loved Jesus. I don't think it's wrong to, we all should vote. I think we should vote. But boy, everyone should know we love Jesus Christ the most, right? But we just love him in a different way. When you're working, do the people you work with know you go to Bob Jones University? Or do you try and hide that? Do they know where you are on Sunday, or do you try and hide that? You just act like them at work and laugh at their jokes and do the things that they do, hoping that no one will ever know that you're really a Christian. And yet, if your favorite sports team, you, you could, I mean, if you are in Alberta, we have the Calgary Flames and the Edmonton Oilers. I'd wear an Oilers jersey. I'd walk into a whole group of Calgary Flame fans and say, go Oilers. Didn't faze me a bit. But boy, is it a little different when we start talking about Jesus Christ. Yet according to the text, if you say you love God, then that love of Christ should constrain you. You should be, old things should be passing away, all things should be becoming new. You skip your devotions but daily check ESPN or the news. When's the last time you read your Bible every day for a month or a week? For to be the workers God wants us to be, it must be the love of Christ that compels us. And when you stop loving God passionately, the great commandment, something else will take its place. And times not corrected, our lack of love for God will become obvious to others and will hurt more than just us. Always ask, never assume. Do you at least love God like you love everything else in your life? Could you prove it? We just had the Super Bowl. If you're a Chiefs fan, you had a great day. Whatever your favorite team, do you think about it all the time? You know all the stats, you know everything about your team, but you don't think about God hardly at all. 
I'm convinced one of the reasons we're not reaching the lost is because we don't love God. Because we all talk about what we love, which goes into our second point. If you love God, you'll have a passion that leads to God's control of your life. Are you working on sin? Are you want to become more and more like Christ? Do you really love him and say, boy, I, I just want to be what he wants me to be? Does the love of Christ truly constrain you tonight? Do you love God this evening as much as you ever have? What was the knock of the church of Ephesus in Revelation 2, 4-5? Good church doing a lot of good things, but one big problem, they left their first love. Remember we had a gentleman in our church and he grew up in a Christian home and when he was 18 he bolted. He was like, I'm done. I never want to go to church again in my life and went off to the oil patch. There's a ton of oil in northern Alberta. Married a wife. His wife went to United Church. She begged him to go to church with them and he said, no honey, if I ever go to church I'm only going to a Baptist church because his mom was a Baptist. Now they're in their late 70s. He's retired. They go into a coffee shop where one of our girls are working and she says, hey, I'd like to invite, her, invite you to our church. And he said, well, what, what's the name of your church? She said, Meadowlands Baptist Church. And his wife was standing right there and said, you promised. And he said, all right, I'll go. And they came that Sunday. They sat in the back. I don't remember what I preached on, but I gave the gospel. And I never had a come forward invitation. I just said, hey, if God's working in your heart, put your hand up. And our people knew if I ever said, I see that hand, they knew, leave me alone so I could go and talk to them. I said, I see that hand. Our people left me alone. I got back to him and I said, hey, I saw you put your hand up. And he said, yeah. He said, I'd like to talk to you. And I said, when would you like to meet? He said, how about Tuesday? And she, his wife's standing right there and she said, good, he needs it. <laughs> and so I set up the appointment on Tuesday and I brought my big Bible and I walked in and she was sitting in a rocking chair across the living room because she didn't need it, but he did. I sat down next to him on the couch and I just started going through the plan of salvation. I was so focused on him that the next time I looked up, she'd taken her rocking chair and moved it right in front of us, and she said, I've never heard this either. And I had the joy of leading both of them to the Lord. And he got saved. And he was seven, he said, Jim, I spent my whole life, the, the love of Christ constrained him. And he's, he's a woodworker, he said, I'll make your offering plate. He made offering plates. We had a Christian school, he started making handrails. He just constantly was, anything he could do, he just said, I, I wasted my whole life. I'll never forget where I was when I got the call. My wife said, hey, Ron had a stroke. Went to the hospital, and Ron had a stroke that affected his speech on the right side of his body, and he could never talk again. He was completely alert, understood everything you said, but he couldn't speak. And they had to put him in a nursing home. And if you've been in nursing homes, there's nice ones and there's bad ones. He was in a bad one. It kind of had a smell when he walked in. And we were up in Canada. We had no family. We'd adopted him as grandparents. My wife would go in twice a week and visit him, and he loved uh, gardening, and she did too, and they'd bring in a tomato plant and break it if you're a gardener, you know the smell, and he just loved that. And every so often, our, my wife would say, hey, we all need to go and sing to Ron, and so she did that this day, and so we brought our kids, and my youngest daughter was small, and we were singing around his bed, and he's completely alert, enjoying it, but can't speak, and our youngest, we said, what would you like to sing? And she said, I want to sing Jesus Loves Me. You know that song? Jesus loves me, this I know. We started singing, and Ron joined us and sang every word. Yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. And he was crying, and we were crying, and when is the last time Ron had ever heard that song? He'd only attended adult church. We never sang that in adult church since he'd been in our church. The last time he heard that song was when he was a kid. 
And I'll promise you the love of Christ compelled Ron. And if you had asked me, Jim, who's on fire for God in your church, I could give you a list, but Ron would be on it. Hey, Ron is. He wants to give whatever time he has left to the Lord. Students, the advantage you have is you're young. You have so much you could do for the Lord if you would really love him. If you'd really understand, if you could grasp what God's trying to tell us in this passage. And if you could grasp it, then it goes into this next point. You should have a passion for the lost, verses 17 to 21. Skip to verse 19. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. What's an ambassador do? They represent. We are ambassadors for Christ, though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ to be reconciled to God. I mean, the Bible's saying if, if you really are saved tonight, if you really know for sure, if you were to die, you'd wake up in heaven then how can you not share that with people? If you really believe lost people die and go to hell, a terrible, horrible place that they never get out of, of eternal torment, if you really believe that's true, how can you not care about lost people? If you were walking by a house and it was on fire and you saw someone in the upstairs window, would you try and warn them? And that's only for a moment, not eternity. I would challenge you students, people are dying and going to hell. Not everyone you talk to will get saved, but 100% of the people who never hear the gospel will die and go to hell. Do you care? I mean, it seems from the text that it should be a natural response if we've really been reconciled, that we should be reaching out to lost people. But I travel a lot in the last nine years, and I want to challenge you, it's not normal. Evangelistic churches are rare. I shared this morning, the average Wednesday night prayer meeting is not about who needs to get saved. Do you care where people are going? Paul had an overwhelming passion for the lost. Go back to Romans chapter 9. Romans 9 verse 1, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bear me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. I think this is true of every missionary, but I, God called me to Canada, and I still love Canada. I still speak a little Canadian process. When the Olympics are on, I'm going to cheer for Canada. I want every Canadian to come to Christ. I want every American to come to Christ, but God burdened my heart specifically for the country of Canada. But I've never felt like this. I never have said, if God would save every Canadian, I would go to hell. I want every Canadian to get saved, but I didn't have this passion as Paul did. Look what he says in chapter 10. right there, Romans 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. When's the last time you prayed for someone to come to Christ? I think new Christians have a great love for the lost. You heard a message, I, didn't, I missed it last night, but the woman at the well. If I told you two groups of people go into a town full of lost people that are going to get saved, trained disciples who've seen miracles and been with Jesus and a baby Christian, 
Here's your two options. If you've never read the Bible, and I said, here's your two options. Lady who just got saved and disciples who just recently have seen, like not Benny Hinn style, like the real thing. Water turned to wine, genuine miracles. And they know this is the Christ. Of these two, who's going to bring people to Christ? You would think it's going to be the disciples. How many people did they bring back? I mean, hopefully you're paying attention last night. Zero, right? And in fact, they're a little irritated that he's talking to the woman. <laughs> And if you start the text, he needed to go through Samaria. Why? People needed to be saved. And what does Jesus say to the disciples? Wake up! The fields are white into harvest. How did you go in a town full of lost people and come back with nothing? And yet I would say that's happening in our churches all over the place. In every town you came from, the church is God's plan. There's no plan B. There's not going to be angels showing up. If we don't share the gospel, it's not going to be shared. And this is a challenge for every one of us. You don't have to be a pastoral major. God's asking all of us to care about lost people. Go back, if you would, to our text in 2 Corinthians 5. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ to be reconciled to God. For hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Are you glad you're saved tonight? <laughs> One week, amen. <laughs> Can we ask again, are you glad you're saved tonight? Amen. If, we were at a, if we were at a Bruins game and you just won the championship, would that have been better than what I just heard? <laughs> One guy's like, No. <laughs> Depends on the sport, right? Are you glad you're saved tonight? Amen. Amen. If you really are, always ask, never assume, then who are you telling? If you love to golf and you get a hole in one, would you ever tell someone about that? Every chance you can, you'd work it in the conversation, right? Hey, did, do you play golf? <laughs> really? Hey, let me... Did you happen to know I got a hole in one? <laughs> if you're a hunter and you need to shoot a trophy animal, are you never going to talk about that? Not only are you going to talk about it, you're going to cut his head off and mount it on your wall, right? <laughs> like, hopefully they come over like, hey, I, I shot that. We talk about what we love except when it comes to Jesus Christ. When's the last time you invited any lost person to come to church? Most of you are working in the community, and I know that this is the Bible Belt, but I have to believe a lot of you work with lost people. I mean, my daughter, you know, it's tough when you're a girl. I mean, you work out, uh, she worked at Menards, she worked at a, a, a bank, and, you know, guys are constantly checking her out. Obviously, she's beautiful, especially from my perspective, but she's a beautiful girl. And what is every... If you're working out in the work workplace with unsafe people, they're going to ask you to go to their parties. They're going to ask you to drink. Some of them are going to ask you out. And you're going to have great opportunities to witness. You don't have to go all crazy. Don't, there's enough weirdos out there, right? Don't be weird. Be different. If someone says, hey, you want to go drinking? You don't go, oh, back! Like they're Dracula or something, you know what I mean? Like, you just say, no thank you. 
and hey, we're doing this crazy week at Bob Jones. Or hey, we're having something special coming on. Hey, I'd love to have you come. Our church is doing this special event. I'd love to have you come with me. Because 100% of people who never hear the gospel will die and go to hell. And God's saying, hey, if you've been reconciled, if you really understand this, then just like you talk about a hole-in-one, just like you talk about a great, if you're a hunter, and, or if you're a shopper and the greatest sale you've ever met, you're going to talk about it. You have grandkids. You're going to, before people, you say, do you want to see a picture of my kids? Before they can say no, most grandparents have the pictures out. Except when it comes to Christ, we get all quiet. And students, do you believe that in most of our towns, I was in Edmonton, 1.3 million people. I'm convinced less than 10%. But let's be generous. How many of you think that the town that you grew up in, 50% of your town, if it ended tonight, would die and go to hell? If you think that, put your hand up. 50% of the town you grew up in, if it ends tonight, they're not going to heaven. I would think all of us. And that's being generous. I think a lot of you would say, actually, in my town, I, I don't even think it's 50%. Do you care tonight? Paul did. Jesus did. He came to seek and to save those who are lost. John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The greatest lie that Satan tells you is God doesn't care. The next time tragedy happens in your life, two of your ladies that are helping run this conference have already had some tragedy. You're going to go through tragedy, and Satan's going to be the first one to say God doesn't care. Next time you hear that, remember he cares this much. He loves you this much, students. And if you really get a hold of that, then you're going to have to tell others. You're just going to have to say, man, I, I've been reconciled and I'm an ambassador now. I've got to tell people how great my God is, how great that's the job of an ambassador. The Canadian ambassador of the United States is to tell everyone how awesome Canada is. Are people excited to come and hear what God has to say because they know you or are you a turnoff? You're a hypocrite. I remember we had a Christmas cantata and we let people join just for the cantata and cantatas aren't a big deal anymore but uh, we said hey the reason we want you to do this is so that you could go and invite your coworkers." This is a true story. We did it on a Saturday and Sunday night. Saturday night in Edmonton it was minus 50 Celsius. Now if you're not good with Fahrenheit and Celsius they're the same at minus 40. At minus 50, it's worse than minus 50 Fahrenheit. Let's just say it's nippy, all right? And the only reason I went is because I was the pastor. I said, honey, we got to go on the pastor. Like, who's going to be there? Minus 50, this is nuts. We got there that night. We had almost 100 visitors. I am blown away on a Saturday night. I'm walking up. I'm like, I just got to ask, why are you here? Do you know Joe? Yeah, I know Joe. Well, Joe asked me to come to this cantata. I don't even know what a cantata is, but I told Joe I'd come. I do not want to see Joe on Monday if I didn't come to this thing. <laughs> Sally, why are you here? Do you know Sally? Yeah, I know Sally. Oh, my word. I work with Sally. I don't know why I told her I'd come, but I told her I'd come. And I did not want to see Sally on Monday because I just know Sally. You know what I found? All those visitors liked our people. And our people were telling them about Jesus. And we saw lots of people come to Christ. 
And I would challenge you that if you could really get a hold of this and say, I'm an ambassador, this is my job. Because I don't want anyone to die and go to hell. True story, the USS Indianapolis had just delivered parts for a nuclear bomb and they were headed to the Philippines when they were torpedoed and sunk July 30th, 1945. The war ends in 1945. Of the 1,195 crew member, about 300 went down with the ship. About the other 8 to 900 went into the water. Even to this day, it's the largest loss of life in a single naval incident in the U.S. Navy. Because of their top secret mission and a lot of other issues that went, no one noticed that the ship was missing. Four days later, a random sea patrol plane was flying over, saw men in the water, and immediately landed and radioed for help. Planes and ships came from everywhere. And as they rescued these men, they only rescued about 300. So of the 900 that went into the water, 600 perished in those four days. 300 were still alive and rescued. And they asked those 300 men, they said, what is the worst part of this ordeal? And they said, well, number one, day one was horrible. The shark showed up. And it became a shark feeding frenzy. We can still hear the screams of men as shark attacked them and dragged them under the water. They said day three was terrible because day three we ran out of drinking water and, and guys just started swimming off to imaginary islands that didn't exist. And though we try and stop them and tell them there's, that's not really there, they wouldn't listen and they just swam to their death. But they said the absolute worst was day four because we realized on day four we hadn't heard a plane, we hadn't heard a ship. And we realized that if the U.S. Navy was looking for us, we should have heard those things. And on day four, we all realize we are all going to die. Can I say kindly, students, the only thing worse than being lost is being lost and no one is out looking for you. If you really believe half of your town would die and go to hell, will you give them a chance? Will you be God's ambassador? Will you tell them how you've been reconciled? You know, the woman, all she knew was her testimony. Come see a man that told me all that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? You'll be stunned if all you do in your workplace, in your neighborhood, is share your testimony. You're going to see some people come to know your Savior. But if we keep our mouths shut, if we talk about everything else we love except Jesus Christ, then our world's in trouble. And I believe personally you're disobeying a clear command of Scripture. If you love me, keep my commandments. And if you love God, in verse 20, we are ambassadors as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ to be reconciled to him. Always ask, never assume. Are you changing? Are you becoming more and more like Christ? Or are you hiding sin? Is what everyone thinks you are what God thinks you are? If everyone in your church had the walk with God that you do, how healthy would the church be? And if you're here tonight and you're not saved, nothing's worth going to hell for. What is a prophet if you could gain the whole world, if you could have the wealth of Bill Gates and die and go to hell, it is not worth it. And if you're here in a Christian college and you hear preaching like this all the time, you're more responsible. Don't reject Jesus Christ. He loves you tonight. Enough that three times when there was no other way, 
he said, thy will be done. And he let people spit on him and smash him in the face blindfolded, scourge him 39 times, mock him as he hung on a cross. And at any one of those moments, one angel in one night in the Old Testament killed 185,000 Assyrians. Of that song, he could have killed 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. Are you thankful tonight? And if you are, are you willing to follow him? If you love me, keep my commandments. And if you love him, you got to talk about him. You talk about everything else you love. Are you talking about Jesus Christ? In just a minute, we're going to close this service. And I know there's a lot of activities going on tonight. But I would just ask you to be honest tonight. Do you love him like you love your sports team? If you're an athlete, do you love him like you love your team and your sport? If you're a musician, do you love him as much as your instrument or singing? Would you say, if I was to be honest, I spend way more time on my instrument than I do the Lord? I, I get excited about all these other things. I don't really get that excited about Jesus Christ. I got saved when I was 19 at a Christian college. I gave a testimony, but I wasn't really a believer, and I heard a message on repentance. I walked out of that service, and I knew that I wasn't really saved. But I grew up in a Christian home. I knew it would have to change, and I decided there's no way I'm going to change. I go to bed. Are you going to go to hell for those things? Yep. I wake up in the morning. going to go to hell. Finally, on the third day, I broke. I said, okay, God, nothing's worth going to hell for. I give you my life. I had no idea he'd ask me to be a pastor. But I stand here tonight and say, I'm so thankful. If you knew me like God knew me, you wouldn't listen to me tonight. You know what's amazing? He knows everything about me and he still loves me. And he says, Jim, just love me back and tell people what I've done for you and what I want to do for them. Students, you can make a great difference if you want to. And this world needs you to be the Christians that God saved you to be. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for these students. I pray you bless them. God, help us to love you like we love the other things in our life. And God, help us to be your ambassadors. Help us to tell people how great you are and all that you have done for them. And God, may we not take a message like this and walk out of here tonight and still only care about us. Lord, we have so many churches that are not seeing people saved. There's so many probably in this room that maybe have never shared the gospel. Maybe some in this room that if they were honest, their coworkers have no idea that they love you. But they know a lot of other things that they love. God, may you grip our hearts and may we be so in love with you that it changes our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you.